Welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Larson. This week, we're in Choctaw, Oklahoma with Matt Floyd of Matt's Bat, a handcrafted custom wood bat company. Matt's sharing how he and his family moved from downtown Oklahoma City to their farm in Choctaw, where he has grown his bat business and started a farmer's market. They even have a ball diamond in their backyard where they host team bat making parties that bring kids into the process and give them a hands-on look at skilled trades. So here we go with Matt Floyd. All right. Well, we're here in Choctaw, Oklahoma with Matt Floyd of Matt's Bat. Matt, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about you. Have you always lived in Oklahoma? No. I grew up in Seattle, Washington area, just a little bit south of there. And then after that, I moved to Santa Barbara, California for a few years and lived in Orlando and Wichita and now here. Very good. So what brought you to Oklahoma? Uh, I played baseball in college and kind of traveled around, got recruited for a college here locally and ended up staying put. Okay. It's pretty safe to say baseball has always been a part of your life. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, what sparked the idea for Matt's Bat? Well, um, I was doing baseball lessons. So I started that when I played in college and, um, you know, from there it just, I kept doing it. So once I was done with college, it continued to be something that was a normal job for me. So people kept requesting lessons. And uh, then I got married and had kids. And so I didn't want my schedule to look like all my evenings were booked up with baseball lessons. So I thought it would be a, kind of a natural flow. So I had a, a indoor facility downtown Oklahoma City that... Um, there was a woodworking business that went in downstairs that built tables and furniture. And so I think that kind of sparked my interest in woodworking. And so I ended up uh, talking to a guy that I met in that alleyway, uh, across the alleyway. He had a CNC machine, a business, and he was making table legs for that, that furniture business. And so I asked him about making bats and if he could cut them out on his CNC machine and, um, but he took too long to kind of get back to me on things. So I thought I should figure out how to do it myself. So I, I did. So how did you figure it out yourself? Yeah, I, I watched a YouTube video. Wow. And then I, uh, I ordered kind of a lathe and the chisels and went and got a, a wooden dowel from Home Depot just to see if I could do it. And uh, it took about three hours, the first one, but my tools were for making pens. Okay. <laughs> so they were a lot, they were way too small for what I was supposed to use. So then once I figured that out, it got a lot quicker. Okay. <laughs> once you made the first bat, uh-huh. where did it go from there? So it went from a the, the first bat I made out of a dowel to then my sister-in-law wanted honey dippers for a wedding shower gift. So I got some just wood out of our yard and I made it had to make like 20 something honey dippers and so that kind of helped me do the the turns uh kind of like a knob on a bat and and so then I I ended up ordering just a bunch of wood and went for it so I told uh all the guys I was training I just told their parents if they bought the materials I would 
make them a bat and just charge them for the materials and it might end up not being very good or they'll get a bat for really cheap. And so I had like 20 people that went in and pitched in for some materials. So I started with that and then their teammates wanted them and, and it just kind of kept going and, and just kept going further and further out of town. So. So not only did you have to learn how to chisel and carve the bats, you also had to learn how to paint them. Yes. And that was a chore to figure <laughs> out. So um, I didn't know that certain types of paints or stains or clear coats wouldn't go together. And so I had a few orders come in and I told them they would be due on a certain day. And uh, I put a you know a certain type of clear coat on and it, the whole bat just bubbled and just started all the paint started dissolving off. And so those ended up being some long nights figuring out that certain types of clear coats wouldn't go on top of uh, certain types of paints. And so I had to figure out what paints worked, what applied well. Um, and then my, the, the application process just kind of changed for me based off uh, what people are requesting. So they all kind of came up with their own ideas of what they wanted. And then I would just tell them, sure, I could do that and figure it out. So that's kind of how my business on the, the painting and finishings evolved is I just let them design their own. And then I figure out the process on how to do it. Wow. So have you always known about this creative side of you or is that something no. new? <laughs> no, no. It's funny. I got a, I got a C in art class. That's like the only C I ever got in high school. Um, and so I... I've never been very creative, um, which is why I think the business has gone so well because it allows, for me, it's allowed for other people to be creative and I've been resourceful. I've learned how to figure things out. And uh, so in that, you know, they've come up with their own designs. I figured out how to do it. And then now I'm a lot more creative because of what I've been able to do from them. So they, uh, all the customers kind of helped me uh, get more well-rounded with how bats can look or what kind of applications I can use. I love that. Do you have any inspiration or is it just your customers bring the ideas mostly? Yeah, uh, customers bring some ideas and, you know, there's there's a lot of different bat makers around the country. And so I think all of us probably look at each other's pictures on what we're doing. And, and so I get some ideas of concepts that they've applied to theirs and then try to add those in if I think they, they'd work well. Um, but mainly, uh, all my orders are, are custom, so I usually don't make a lot of bats myself that I design. I've started to recently, uh, if I do some fundraisers for people and things like that, but uh, mainly it's, it's just kind of up to others. Okay, so how does the custom process work? Yeah, so that's been a tricky one because on a, on a website, so I have a website, and that way, you know, people can uh, just have an avenue to be directed to the company. Um, the problem is being able to put so many custom options on a website platform gets kind of confusing. And so I have like an upload image deal on the custom orders where people can just type in a description, but they can even sketch on a piece of paper and take a snapshot on their phone because it's it, you're not limited to you know, the color of a barrel and the color of a handle. They can add stripes wherever they want and they can get as specific as they want. So uh, that's kind of how the the custom option for me works is 
best and it may not be the best way to do it, but uh, it seems to allow them a little bit more freedom. So I have forms that I'll mail out to kids sometimes that they can color with a colored pencil on a picture of a bat and just make it simple for them. And then it's easier for me to also pick up what they want. Very good. Once you figured out and you started making those first few bats, how did you start to get the word out beyond that? Um, I didn't very, I, I didn't market too much. So I've kind of kept it more relational. And for me, um, with a family, I didn't want the business to grow faster than I could grow with it. Um, so it's kind of been a smooth transition for me on what kind of bat orders I can handle, what kind of business I can handle. And, uh, and so getting the word out's more been, you know, a, a, a kid on a team that, that I was training bought a bat, right? And then their little brother wanted one. And then that little brother is on a team and they see it and they get one, you know? And so then word of mouth travels and, uh, and so it's been interesting. I've, I've sold some bats in, around the, the world. Uh, so there's some Australia and one day I was out kind of working on our farm and there's a, a guy that stopped by and from Puerto Rico wow. <laughs> randomly. And this was like a destination spot. And I'm like, I don't know if it's what you think it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was cool. Like we went out into the batting cage and he came out and got to design his own bat. And, and so it's just been real relational and organic and, um, but also, you know, uh, Social media has helped a lot um, on that kind of networking. So people post their pictures of their bats and then all their friends kind of see it. And so that's that's probably, I'd say, a main source of my marketing has come. And I can see that on the website data is coming from like Facebook or Instagram. That's great. When do you feel like the business really took off? Um, probably two years ago. But now if I look back at two years ago, I'd say it hadn't, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so um, it, it, every year for since I started, business had doubled, except this year it tripled. Um, wow. And so I've kind of watched exponential, exponential growth with it, it feels like. But um, which I'm, I'm glad it's growing, but I'm also glad that it hadn't grown too fast where it was overwhelming as I've got young kids and you know, I'm trying to also be a dad and husband and, and all that. So that's good. So how is your family involved in the business? Oh, um, they like to come up with designs, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> lots of them. Um, and you know, they do, uh, occasionally they'll do some little videos and stuff that they like to, you know, have me put on, you know, Facebook or Instagram about that. And then, uh, they like to, so the process that I use, there's a lot of peeling of tape and things like that that's kind of time consuming. And I don't like that part of things. Uh, I, I have to do it, but they love it. And so they'll kind of hang out and peel like 10 or 20 bats and, uh, and, and help with that, which is really helpful for me. But, um, you know, they, they help just kind of, by being involved, you know, like we just went down, my wife just helped me clean the shop, which that's a big chore. It's never clean because there's always dust and wood shavings and, and all that. And then also when you cut bats, all the dust flies onto you 
and the wood shavings. And so I'm constantly just trekking in all that stuff in the house. So, so they, they help a lot with that. Uh, and then my wife helps uh, with some of the imaging stuff that we have to put on the bats. So I'd say they're, they're pretty well involved. And my older son, Fisher, you know, he's eight and he's getting pretty good at the lathe. And I'd say pretty soon he's going to get to the point where he can start cutting some bats. Um, you know, I'd check his work and make sure that it's, that the profile is good and all that, but he's, he's getting a, he's getting a lot more, um, you know, talented at, at that deal, which is really cool to see. You also bring kids into the process, right? Mm -hmm. And give them a hands-on look at skilled trades. Yeah. Yeah. So we have some team bat making parties and, uh, and that, that allows them to come out here and, uh, and I'll, I'll cut a bat where they can watch how to do it. And then I'll let them cut on a bat. And we have a, we have like a baseball field out, out back and zip line. And, you know, in the summer we'll put out slip and slide for the kids and stuff. And so they have kind of a fun party and then the kids get to learn how to make a bat and design, design it themselves. And that's been really fun. Um, you know, and that's been, I've been thinking a lot about education, especially with kids and, uh, they've, you know, a lot of the skilled trades have gone out of the schools cause there's liability with it. Uh, kids can get hurt, you know, and, and it's just, they don't want to risk that. And so I'd like to maybe fill that gap a little bit with some basic knowledge of how to use tools. So maybe those kids, as they get older, even if they've done it one time, they kind of know what tool does what and how to do it. So. Have you been surprised how much they catch on to it and love yeah. it? Yeah, they like it. You know, some kids are scared by it. And it, usually it starts with scared. And I, I'd watch a lot of their parents' faces, too, the minute they're using, <laughs> like, a miter saw. And yeah. I'm like, oh, man, they're so, like, they just got thrown into an element that the parent doesn't want to say, no, don't let my kid do this because everybody else is around watching. <laughs> and then they do it, and the kids are just like, so excited to just use a saw, you know, or a power tool. Um, and I think it gives their parents a little bit more comfort to see, cause they, they might not have been around that themselves, you know, Yeah. that, okay, well, if my six year old can use a miter saw, then so can I, you know, and I, I'll go through safety stuff with them and make sure that, you know, I'll scare them a little bit just to make sure that there's always that healthy fear of using a, a tool, a power tool. So is this now your full-time job? Um, it's kind of a mixture. So I do this, and then uh, we, as a family, have a little farm, and we started a farmer's market out here in the town that we're at. Uh, and my wife, with her parents, own a coffee shop downtown Oklahoma City, and uh, my wife makes a lot of seasoning salts and sugars. And, and so during my slower season, might be something that I help her with those things and vice versa. So, you know, as we have stuff in the garden that excess, then we're thinking about ways to utilize our herbs, you know, before they go bad or a freeze is going to come. We have to harvest them all. So she makes a lot of infused salts and sugars and things like that, that have been pretty popular in the area. And so I'd, I'd say bats is probably our main source of income. Um, and then the farming is more like an avenue to re-neighbor you know, get to kind of meet more people that uh, go to the market, you know, 
and introduce people to each other. Yeah. So talk to us more about farming in the farmer's market. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we never farmed or gardened or anything like that until, um, so we moved downtown, uh, downtown Oklahoma city. And we, we had some friends who we lived across the street from the city rescue mission. Okay. And so a lot of homeless community and, we started kind of getting stirred up on what it looks like to like be the church and not just go to it. And so for us, we, we just got a little tired of the Sunday morning. I don't know if this is too harsh to bring up here, but we're like, how do we kind of be light and darkness? And so uh, I moved down first with, with a bunch of friends, then I got married. My wife moved in, which is like really kind of hilarious because her dad at, at first, like they didn't know, uh, I, I'm kind of a, a new guy, <laughs> you know, and, uh, she got like a taser gun for her first, like mother's day. <laughs> um, they, they got a lot of grace for it now. Um, but we, you know, we were in a, in a, in a pretty rough area and our kids were, were born and, and then we watched a lot of the crime move about four, four blocks South from, from that. And so there was a, a drug Lord's house there that, um, and, a, and a bunch of houses that there was uh, prostitution going on and uh, drug dealing and, and all this. And, and so we used to sleep outside of the front yard of a house that somebody just donated to our community of, of friends. And, um, and we'd watch a lot of these trucks and cars come and pick up drugs for the day, and then they would go out and distribute them out. Uh, I think probably when the city rescue mission let people out. So they're kind of praying on them. Uh, and so we started kind of praying against that, that place and it burnt down, which was really cool. Um, and so we're like, Hey, the Lord's like purifying this place, but it come, it came to be that we were able to buy it. Wow. And so, um, we ended up buying it and, and we moved in and it was just like charred wood. So we just had to put kills on everything for all the smoky smell. And, and then we had about, uh, 10 different friends that moved down to that neighborhood with us. And, and in the process, uh, we had read Isaiah and it said the men turned their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and there'd be no more war. And so we're like, what in the world does that even mean? You know? And so, um, it was really cool because then we just started pruning all these bushes and trees and with a, a bunch of friends and, and the, the girls that were kind of uh, prostituting out there were doing that business behind like bushes and trees, you know. And so it almost like exposed the darkness, so it brought light and then people couldn't hide. And then we were out in our front yard gardening and, and then in that like the dealers weren't coming by selling because there was people they were somewhat accountable uh in that area and and the hope wasn't to like push people out so uh we'd i mean we'd go fishing with some of those guys and hang out with them and uh became really good friends in in a weird way um you know they uh, i loved them and and they loved us and um but a lot of them ended up leaving and so it was almost like it, it would be ideal if if they did kind of get transformed and, and, and released from some of that, that just, I mean, who wants to live like that anyway, you know? Yeah. Um, but 
So we, we started gardening and we had a bunch of friends that started gardening and, uh, and I think the gardening stuff was more just being out, out of our house, you know? And when you're out and around, like there's no hiding for any kind of darkness. And so some developers came in and, and bought up a lot of the houses in that neighborhood and they're going to start uh, doing a development there. And I kept thinking, like, now that I have kids, you know, so we're focused on the fatherless. But at the same time, I thought it was important for me not to get, even though that's a, a good ministry to have at this time, not to get so focused on the fatherless that my kids become fatherless. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of pastors and stuff, their their homes are falling apart. They're just so focused on the congregation that they're just letting their families just go, you know, astray. And, and so I was like, I just kept thinking, like, Jesus is like, go home, go home, go home. And so, uh, like, how do we bring everything to the home? And then also, like, I started getting this picture of, uh, I remember in college, I, I majored in missions and business. And um, we had this this uh, professor was talking about how traditions, uh, the traditions explain scripture and scripture explains uh, or life experience explains scripture and scripture explains life experience. And what was interesting about it is that's where like they were talking about like a lot of the church traditions came from like communion and things like this. And I just started getting discouraged by that. I'm like, are we having to do a communion deal because we're not eating together at the dinner table, you know? And so I'm like, it's a good thing to have communion, but like maybe the dinner table is where we need to, to get get that back and so like well how do we bring everything home and then also like we noticed that what we are learning from the homeless community is they had they had a lot more community than suburbia did uh but a lot less accountability you know and so we started learning about community from them so we went down to like help them yet they were helping us see a better picture of like the fullness of what it means to be the body. Um, and so we, uh, we started seeing the need for re-neighboring and like love your neighbor, it says. And so like you know, people are going to church 30 miles from their house, you know, they don't know their neighbors, like, and not everybody, but there's a lot of people that we're running into that didn't. And there's a lot of people that are lonely and on depression medication, anxiety stuff. And, and so we're like, you got seven plus billion people on this planet and people are lonely. Like, how is this happening? You know? And so like, we just need to introduce people to each other. <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. And so that's something that, uh, why we, you know, we came out and, and we also homeschool. So just to scatter it even more, um, it's like everything kind of ties in, but, um, you know, we wanted to teach our kids, you know, on top of that, like how to not be entitled. That's something we saw in the homeless community. I moved down there because I didn't have the right type of shampoo for a homeless guy. And he said he was going to shove his foot up my butt because I didn't have it. And so I hung out with him for probably a year after that. Um, and I just started seeing this, this mindset as you continue to give people stuff, hot dogs and whatever, right? They start getting like 
feeling entitled, but it's not just that community. It's everybody. We're so used to just like getting stuff easy, you know? And then, and it's easy for me to get that way too. We feel like we're entitled to it or we deserve it. And gardening has really helped me uh, be like, you don't really deserve it. So you need to be thankful when you get it, <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't deserve good weather. You don't deserve anything. But I, so it helped me be more thankful about uh, what I, what we have, where it comes from. And I want my kids to to grow up that way. So when they eat anything, anything at all, they're just like, man, that took like four months or, you know, not like that took like 30 seconds, like yeah. think more in depth about it. Um and, and so then we, we brought them uh, out to the, a local market here in Choctaw, and there was one going, um, and there was probably three or four vendors and maybe five or six customers at a time, and it's in such a cool place, and, you know, there's a lot of people, there's just a Walmart out here, um, and, like, this should be a thriving place for a good farmer's market, um, and so... Uh, we had met with a, a city councilman. It was super awesome. And, the, you know, the city was super awesome. And, then, and we're like, can we help out and make this market better? And they're like, sure, what are you going to do? And I started seeing an issue with it's hard to get customers without vendors, and it's hard to get vendors without customers. So both were not working. So like, we need an event. And so we moved it to our house and we have a, a field out here. So I was doing the bat stuff already and having teams out. So I'm like, man, it's already kind of fun. Let's just bring the market out here. And then people start. So the first day was kind of funny because we, uh, or before that, we went and uh, put it on Facebook that we were just going to, we're not going to do the one at the park right now. We're just going to just open it up at our house for we were just thinking maybe just us, just have produce. And over 2,000 people in like an hour said they wanted to come. And so we we're like, oh, no. Oh, wow. What did we do? So we like rushed around to our neighbors and we we're like, guys, are you okay with this? I think we made a mistake. Are you <laughs> going to be mad? And a lot of the neighbors were cool with it. And they uh, they're like, no, that's great. We can just come over for groceries. And then, and then all the vendors started being like, hey, I want to come. I want to come because they saw all these customers that were wanting to be there. And, and that's the thing what I learned with a small town, like if you want uh, some cool things to happen, you, you need to have involvement on both sides. You know, you need to have the citizens that are like, and the customers that are ready to want something. And then as the businesses see that, and the farms see that, they're like, oh, that's where I'm going to go bring my stuff, you know. And so they came out here and, and it was a blast. And then we wanted to do more you know, have food trucks and more, more stuff. And, and the, the zoning here didn't really allow for that. So then we moved it back out to where it was. Um, and, and it was really, really fun to see that. Um, so it was really cool. And then this year we had met some people through the market and that were just like really cool people. And so we, we kind of passed on the leadership to them and we're like, now you guys take it and run with it, you know? And so, uh, we're just going to, and, and that's our hope is to like equip and release, not try to do things just for ourselves, you know, and that's what I want our kids to see is 
I don't want them to go to school and learn like, how are you to be successful? You know, like, I don't care if they're successful, you know, I want them to have a rich life with a lot of friends and, you know, and maybe just content, like not want more, just be content. Like you can't buy that, you know? Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's been fun to see like, so raising them on how, so don't worry about how you're successful. Just worry about how you can help others. And then in that, you'll just be taken care of, you know, because you'll value, you'll be valuable in that community. And so that's been kind of where, where we're at. And so, yeah, we just, now we have 3.2 acres and then some neighbors gave us some of their property to use and we have 20 sheep and a bunch of chickens and big garden and, and yeah, so it's been kind of cool. That's amazing. So I love that you were not afraid to like adjust like, well, that's not working at the park. So we'll bring it here. Yeah. And then, Oh, it's too big. We'll bring it back. And I yeah. think that's great. And that was a, that was a hope all along is not to try to make something ours. It was, how do we use what we have to make something better? And when you're in a small town, you know, it, it doesn't have a lot of resources. Um, and, and there's a lot of people that will just a lot of people that complain about, you know, city, city's doing that, city's doing that. But I don't know. I was, I've never looked at it as like a, as a city is responsible for bringing fun, cool things to, to a town, like the, the governing body of it. I like, I, I was like, you got a, you got a blank canvas here. You know, if you guys want to do something, let's go do it. Like, and I've never thought about that any other way. Of, so I always been like, Hey, if you want, if you want something around, just go figure out a way to make it happen. So you know, good. and, and if others want it, it'll work. And if they don't want it, then you shouldn't be doing it anyway. And then it just won't work. It'll just regulate itself, you know? And so it, and that's the same when you asked about the business stuff, like people that want to jump in and start a business. Um, it's, it's difficult because you may have a good idea that you think is a good idea, but it may not be something that other people really want. And so I've always been kind of cool looking at it from like, uh, give me an example for gardening. We grew a ton of hot peppers and no one wanted them. <laughs> so we wasted oh. like six rows or whatever, these hot peppers that just, and we, we, we made some pepper jellies. Now they wanted pepper jellies. Just not the peppers. Just not the peppers. And so now, yeah, we're going to adjust based off, you know, we'll still grow some because we like that. But we're going to adjust based off what other people are wanting, not just stick to our stubborn mindset of what we think people should want. (laughs) (laughs) So when you talk about people being lonely and how we need to love our neighbor, give us some tips from your perspective on on ways to do that. Oh, man. Uh, It's hard. I think it's hard at first uh, because a lot. A lot of neighbors are in the same boat. They're, they're really used to, especially when you move out to rural. Yeah. People that move to rural uh, a lot want their solitude. You know, they don't move out to rural. So a lot of people don't move out to rural just to go hang out with a bunch of people. Yeah. You know, they're, they're wanting the peace and quiet. They're wanting the solitude. And so I think, I think to an extent, you have to, you have to respect that a little bit about, uh, you know, what people are... How the what people are wanting to live and 
But at the same time, I've seen there's, there's always needs that come up everywhere you're at. There's always needs. There's always uh, health issues, disasters, whatever, fires, you know, anything like that. So it's like, are you, if you're the type of person that will just like, even if you don't know someone, like, would you help them, you know? So if they're your neighbor, like, help them even if you don't know them. And if they don't want it, then don't, don't give it, you know? And, and just kind of push that line a little bit. And, and I think in the process, like, what we've seen is, is then at first you're, and this is what I learned from the homeless guy. The homeless guy used to be the homeless guy, right? And then when we moved down there, then he now was no longer the homeless guy. He was Corey, yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's the same thing with neighbors. You got the person with the blue house or the person with the red door. Well, then eventually as you get to know them and talk to them, you know, maybe they'll get a name. And I think until your neighbors have a name, then you may, you may not really, you know, and they have something to offer. There's a huge benefit that everybody has to offer. You know, there's, there's all this diversity that uh, you can learn from people, you can, you know, and, and that's honestly what, one thing I've learned from my business, just sitting back observing, is like, I've gotten better at things because of other people, you know, and so it, it's the same thing, I think, in life, like, like, you'll get, you'll, you'll get, you'll reap the fruit of other people's relationships as you get to know them, but it's going to take a while, Yeah. you know, people aren't just going to open up their, their door to a stranger and so uh, with kids, it's easier because if other people have kids, it's very easy to get to know those neighbors, you know, because your kids are all playing together and you want to know who your kids are playing with. And that, that's always an easy one. Um, but I think getting to know them, too, is just having opportunities that you can invite them into things, you know, invite them over, invite them to hang out like. Um, we've had, we had some neighbors, uh, just across, they, they ended up moving, but, um, they're Hispanic. They didn't want to hang out with us and we didn't. And, and so we just kind of were really pushy, <laughs> like always knocking on their door and they had great kids and we love their kids. Uh, and, and we, we couldn't figure out. So finally we found they didn't want to hang out with us because they, uh, the, the wife didn't speak very good English. Uh. So she didn't want us to feel uncomfortable. It wasn't because she didn't want to hang out with us. She didn't want us to feel uh, uncomfortable at all because, like, th she didn't speak very good English. But we didn't care. So now we, like, Google Translate, which is now... That's so cool. I figured it's, like, way off. But now, like, we can have a normal conversation. Her English has gotten so good. Um, their kids are, like, the best kids ever. And it's like one day it'd be cool if our kids even got married. It'd be, like they're so amazing, you wow. know? And so even though they move, they still come back. And now they're asking to like, if there, if there's anything in the neighborhood that, that they can buy to move back, you know? Wow. And so, but that's just by knocking on their door. Yeah. Or just how are you guys doing? Uh -huh. As simple as that, you know? And that just to a lot that seems kind of weird and to us where, from where we moved from it was weird that like people would knock on our door when we moved out here because we got so used to people just kind of coming in and hanging sure. out yeah. you know and so 
then other people are like, we're like, come on in, and they kind of tiptoe in, and they're not as comfortable. But now, as time passes, and you get to know people more, then they become more like family. Yeah. And and to me, that's that's what would be cool to see the church come like like, not like acquaintances because of where you go, but you become brothers and sisters and yeah, like family. I love that. That is so good. Tell us about your town. What do you love about it here? Yeah, I really like that it's not a super small town, but it is a small town. You know, it's uh-huh. kind of right on the, the cusp. And we're about probably 15 minutes outside of Oklahoma City. And so I like that it's somewhat close to, you know, the population size that a city offers, which helps with business as well. Um, and then I like that a lot of people know everybody. So, I mean, there's a lot of accountability that comes into people's lives from that, uh-huh. you know, and I grew up in Seattle and, uh, and then when I lived even in Oklahoma city, I'd go to the grocery store or something like that. And I wouldn't, I mean, it was rare to just run into somebody, you know, uh-huh. and you know, we've lived out here for, oh, three and a half years and I'll go to the grocery store and, and in probably 10 minutes, I might now see like five people I know. Yeah. And, so that's, to me, that's really fun. Mm-hmm. What's been the most challenging thing about your business? Probably learning the finishing process and climate control, you know. Sure. For, you know, especially in Oklahoma's climate. Uh, so we get really humid days. We get really hot days in the summer. So, you know, in the beginnings, it was something like I would you know, in the summertime, it gets hot. And so I would work four in the morning and until like 8.30. And then it would just be too hot. And so, and especially with gardening on top of that. Because yeah, then wow. we have to get out and do that. And so you have to weigh out, okay, when do I want to be in the garden before it hits 100 degrees, you know? Uh-huh. And what do I want to do for, for making bats? How do I keep up with that? Um, but... I've also learned that that was the hardest part, but I've learned to appreciate um, the seasonal life. Uh, And so, you know, before, if I was to do normal business or work, it would just be your 40-hour work week, nine to five, you know, like every week. And now I may have work that's really long days um, for a season, And then not a lot, you know, so especially in like July and August, it's really slow. So it's really fun to just press in as a family and have that time. So I've learned to kind of embrace that used to be a challenge. Now I've learned how to prepare for those moments and embrace that and kind of take it when it comes. So if I have a season of rest, then I rest. If I have a season of a lot of work, then then I do that. And the family kind of steps up and helps out. That's good. What's been the most rewarding part of it? Never being late to yes. work because <laughs> it, my, my shop's yeah. at my house. And I am like, I, I'm easily distracted, you know, so my mind will go on to 10 different things. Um, when I'm cutting bats, I, I can focus real well. Um, but, you know, I get really, whenever I'm doing, I'm not distracted, I'm, I'm distracted by being so focused on what I'm doing that if it's time to go do something else, then 
I'm kind of distracted. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be late. You know, I got to go because I was focused on what I was doing. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's nice never to be late. Um, I don't really have to worry about putting on a certain type of clothes to get ready for work. You know, I can just kind of grab it and go and, and, and get after it. And, and then also, like, I don't have to sit in traffic you know, which is nice. And that's just the part of working from home, uh, which is really nice. The downside of working is our house is always a mess. Like it's kind of become a joke that like, we don't like, we don't stay at our house. Like we live here, you know? So like, like our whole life is here, you know, we have all the scraps of stuff from when we were doing kind of tape everywhere and so it's like constantly cleaning up after just the mess from the kids. And, and my wife deals with that a lot. So she, that's probably the hardest part for her okay. is constant cleaning, cleaning up after me, cleaning up after the kids. So that would be the downside of, of working from home. <laughs> yep. I can see that. <laughs> what would you say to somebody who has an idea or a dream in their heart, like you did with this business and they're, yeah. Not sure if they're ready to jump. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I see a lot of people that do take that leap that want to do something and they go all in and then it doesn't last. And then they end up going back to maybe the lifestyle that isn't the ideal picture for what they're wanting. Um, and so I would say just be prepared to work longer and harder for a while, uh, if you want it to last. So do what you're currently doing, start beginning what you want to do, and then what, what you want to do starts passing what you have to do, Yeah. <laughs> then start weaning that off, you know? Um, and that's been something that, that I've been lucky enough, I think, to have that kind of insight I have watched, watched a lot of people that have really good ideas, really good passion, really good work ethic. But just because you have an idea or good work ethic doesn't mean the word's going to get out there. And, and really, a, a small town uh, in our economy, it's very difficult to sustain your family, you know. Um, and so I th- I'd say just kind of getting out there. So sometimes instead of taking your weekends, to just hang out during that season of life. If you want to get started, you might need to get the word out about what you're doing and just uh, meet people, you know, hang out with people. And I think that helps. Looking back, do you feel like you did a good job of scaling it? And are you glad you approached it that way? Yeah. Yeah, I, I really am. I think, uh, uh, especially with my kids, being younger and growing up, I don't, I see a lot of grandparents that start entering into the role that they may have wanted to do when they were parents, you know, and I don't, I want to work harder maybe when my kids are more self-sustainable. And so there's a lot of things and projects that I would love to do, but also my my family is my priority right now, and I, I want to spend that time raising them and, and not feeling like I need to outsource, you know, as much stuff for their lives because I'm busy 
too busy with work. And, and so for me, if it ever gets too busy, I'll, I'll sacrifice the income and hire people to, to help out. So I don't lose that, you know, quality time with my family. And I just, I don't ever want to feel like I'm a slave to my work, you know? That's so good. Well, what's next for you? Um, just stay in the course, I guess. What really, I mean, if, if people want bats, I'll make them, you know, and I'll do the best job that, that I can and, and pay attention to what they're doing. And so I've kind of just more, uh, treated the business like it's, it has its own direction and I'll steward it with where it's leading instead of trying to force, you know, force things to happen. So, uh, I'm enjoying the rhythm now and it's, it just keeps growing just by stewarding that well. Right now it's, it's weird that there's people wanting to do a podcast or there's people doing video stuff. Cause for me, it was like, uh, the, the picture or the, the voice I was hearing that makes me sound crazy. <laughs> it was like to, uh, lead a quiet life and work with your hands, you know, or go home. And then as I've done that, then it's almost like I, I'm in more and more positions to like not be as quiet because <laughs> people <laughs> like you are asking questions, uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to see that. So the, it's almost like the more that, that we've tried to decrease, the more that he increases, you know? And so instead of us trying to like, and that's, that's the hard part for me is cause I have, I, I don't, I didn't try to start a business for starting a business or a brand. Uh-huh. Right. I, I just wanted, it was more like my tent making. So how can I support my family? How can I support my home in this economy, but then have tremendous amounts of free time that I'm available for others, you know? That I can't. I, I don't ever want to. Like, I'm too busy for to if somebody's like hurting for something. Yeah. You know, so we can just be able to say no. Now I still have to meet the demand of my business, but if I need to get up at four in the morning and knock it out, I can do that and then be available for others. You know, so it, have a little bit more flexibility with doing that. So the bat stuff's been a blessing to be able to be available for the things that are our passion. Cause like base it's, it's like, we don't want to, I don't want to labor in vain. And I see the value in baseball as far as people playing together mm-hmm. and spending time together. I think there's a, every neighboring component in that. Um, but also people don't need to play baseball, you know, but they need to eat and, yeah. you know, and so, how can we um, how can we grow some food to feed our families, which means we don't have to charge as much for our products? How can we bring our business to our house? And the pressure for a lot is I need a commercial space in a in a town to uh, to have a successful business. But I used to do that, and I was paying over two thousand dollars a month to a, a landlord that lives somewhere else, and which means I would have to charge more. Sure. Yeah. You know, so I'd make less charge more. So I've always looked at like, you know, before for me, it was, 
I, I can barely take care of myself. How am I going to take care of a wife? And then it's like, I can barely take care of a wife. How am I going to take care of a kid? And so the, the, con, or the culture would say, well, your expenses are going to increase, so you need to work more or get a higher paying job. And I always thought, like, how can I not focus on doing more, but how can I focus on, like, decreasing the expenses? So, you know, to cut out $2,000 a month, I got a $24,000 raise. But, nice. you know, if yeah. you look at it like yeah. that, by, by it, or I could take less of a raise and lower my prices to be a little bit more affordable for, for people. So we're always kind of balancing that out, you know, uh, with, with how to, how to steward the home and the, and the business. So good. Well, how do we follow along? Uh, so there's a uh, social media is a big, big avenue for that. So on Facebook, it's uh, at Matt's bat and there's no S at the end of bat because a 14 year old blogger and, for the, <laughs> got that got that name got, got that name yeah <laughs> um, I think he's probably in his twenties now um, but uh, and then on Instagram as well same thing and then also at www.mattsbat.com perfect yeah All right. well Matt thanks for being on the podcast yeah thanks for having me yeah. appreciate it. Well, I love the concept of re-neighboring that Matt shared about and his intentionality behind putting people and relationships first. What an incredible message of loving your neighbor in a time where we need it most. Be sure to go check the show notes to follow Matt on social media and put in an order for your own custom-made bat. Huge thanks to Matt for being on the podcast and thanks to you for tuning in. Have a great day, everybody.